Treason, sedition, rebellion. This is the heritage of the American patriot. Those revolutionaries who stood on principle to fight against tyranny no matter the cost. And that spirit lives strong today in the activists and freedom fighters who fight against the authoritarian state. Each in their own way, each with their own mission, united for the cause. had the idea to run on a platform of fuck the police prior to actually winning the primary. Uh, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of shit. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're the safe health department, and I said, hell no. You brought a freaking guillotine. People already pushing back in ways that didn't even need any votes to be cast. I'm not ratting on anybody, and I did what I did, so you're going to have to give me what the law says you have to give me. You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. Hope I don't get canceled. Talk to you. These are the people whose stories I'm here to share. I'm Justin O'Donnell, and this is Submersive. Man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists, shit posters, anarchists, and people of the internet, thanks for tuning in to Subversive 82. As always, I'm your host, Justin O'Donnell. And before we get started, just remember whatever platform you listen on, whether it's YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on the air through LRN.fm, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing it with your friends if you enjoy the content you can join our insurgency by visiting patreon.com slash o'donnell today again that's patreon.com slash o'donnell and make sure to check out our sponsor snack swag for all your favorite liberty merch and all your favorite official subversive podcast branded merch you can get some great designs for t-shirts hats hoodies dresses and new brands of coffee mugs that are out today again that's snackswag.com where you can wear your principles literally on your sleeves and if you want to keep in touch between shows, follow me on social media and join our community Discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time. All these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast that you're listening to. So make sure you check it out today. Now, in 246 years since the 13 colonies declared their independence, the United States has been engaged in combat for over 228 of them. With over 400 separate instances of armed military intervention in foreign countries and 117 known declassified interferences in partisan elections in other countries since 1950 alone, a declaration of war has only been passed 11 times in history. In 1812, against Great Britain for the War of 1812. In 1846, against Mexico. In 1898, against Spain. In 1921, against Germany and Austria-Hungary. In 1941, against Germany, Italy, Japan, with Romania, Bulgaria, and Hungary joining in 1942 to round out World War II. And then just those five conflicts being the only ones in our history that have warranted a declaration of war. Amongst 11 declared enemies, yet here we are 268 years as a sovereign nation and in conflict ever since. Tonight, we'll talk about how we got here, what kind of trajectory we're looking at for peace in our lifetimes, how we can get there, and how you can help. But first, there's a message for you from some great activists here in New Hampshire. It was stated that only five times we have declared war in our history. True. But who's going to stand here and say that men that died in Vietnam and in Korea weren't in a war? Defend the Guard is one of the most important and exciting things happening in American politics today. Simply put, Defend the Guard legislation says that the states will refuse to allow the president to nationalize their Guard troops for overseas combat without an official declaration of war by the U.S. Congress. It's not like hippies who are against yeah, the yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. It's badass combat vets 
court telling you exactly why, short of a congressional declaration of war, you do not have the right to use the national reserves. So you know what I mean? To, for, for your In other words, never again. Since Congress, of course, will always refuse to take responsibility for the wars they finance. You tell that widow or you tell that orphan, I'm sorry, son, but your father had to die because we didn't want to lose federal subsidies. The PBS NewsHour came out and did a 15-minute segment on Defend the Guard last year. Everywhere they testify before state legislatures, the Pentagon races to send a two-star general to try to intimidate the states into sticking with the status quo. You know what that means. It means that the Defend the Guard movement is hitting the war party right where it hurts. It puts the brakes on before we rush headlong into some unnecessary war again. Great nations do not fight endless wars. It's just true. And now the majority view. These wars do not serve the national interest only narrow special interests. And while the government can safely disregard public opinion on almost every issue, without the mass support of the right, they just can't do it. If you really want to honor veterans, quit making them. To save America, we've got to abandon the empire. This is a very sound effort to bring back once again the constitutional responsibility of all of us. The spell has been broken. Americans can be tough but smart. Learn more at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining, and thank you for joining me tonight. And we have a big welcome to New Hampshire State Representative Matthew Santos and Santanasto. I'm going to butcher that name, and I will again and again, so I apologize ahead of time. Uh, he's co-sponsor of the Defend the Guard legislation here in New Hampshire. We're going to talk about why it matters and what we can do to help put an end to the senseless cycle of endless war. Matt, thanks for joining that. How are you? Uh, great. Thanks for uh, putting me on today. So a little bit of background here. Like, How did you end up getting wrapped up with the Defend the Guard uh, group? Was, did people just come to you and ask you to sponsor it? Was it uh, brought to you by other sponsors of the bill? Did the Defend the Guard folks come to you? Or was it something that uh, are you a veteran yourself? Like, What's your story and how did you end up involved in this? Sure. Uh, well, there's this uh, Hazlitt Coalition that's um, a uh, organization of uh, liberty legislators. And we had a um, conference, I think it was um, September. Uh, it was sometime in uh, last year. And uh, people knew that I was an anti-war libertarian. Uh, so they asked me to be a co-sponsor in it, uh, especially since I am a active, you know, active military, former active military, uh, veteran. Um, and they thought, I don't know why, but that credential seems to, uh, be important for this kind of legislation. That's great. So what, what, uh, what branch did you serve in? What was your MOS? Like, what did you do in the army and how long were you or the military and how long were you in? Well, I usually put on my resume that I, uh, used to jump out of airplanes with machine guns. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was an air, I was air assault myself, but uh, no, jumping out of perfectly good airplanes definitely an army thing only. Um, well, the army doesn't have any perfectly good airplanes. That is fair, but the air force is just a taxi service. But we can leave the jokes for later. Um, I myself, I did eight years National Guard myself. I was in Massachusetts National Guard as an infantryman and in air assault with 181st Infantry Regiment, uh, and this has been kind of something. 
has been at the back of my head since I got out of the military. And I got out of the military under not the best circumstances. Uh, um, something I've talked about extensively. It's a whole hour episode to go through the story of my leaving the military. But uh, short uh, short version of I was the NCOIC of the security detachment at both the Boston Marathon and the 4th of July in 2013 in Boston. Uh, and after my experiences, really coming to the realization that I was the bad guy, I couldn't, uh, in good faith, serve the U.S. military anymore. And a lot of that had to do with the culture of war and the culture of security theater and how the National Guard has gotten so far away from its original intended purpose as a civic resource to serve, protect, and defend the people as the militia of the states to just becoming kind of an extension of the U.S. government's will to fight and project power overseas. So that's where I I came at it from. (laughs) That's how I felt about it too, but uh, luckily I was a slow learner. I didn't uh, become a conscientious objector until after I got my honorable discharge. But when I was uh, when I was over in Iraq, um, I was basically just asking what the purpose was, and uh, nobody actually could give me an answer. So I never could figure out the purpose. Um, it wasn't until <laughs> later on I started listening to Ron Paul, and then you know. Uh, you know, I had that cognitive dissonance because I joined the service because I actually believed in, you know, American exceptionalism and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I had to go through a little bit of a process to to shed off that. Yeah, I've always joked that the uh, U.S. Army is really, really good at creating two things, and that's uh, disabled veterans and libertarians. Uh, because so many people get out after having that realization. Like, if you're capable of that critical and independent thought, you go through the brainwashing process of basic training, which it is what it is, as long as we can be honest and call it that, and you end up going through a deployment or two, eventually you realize there's nothing backing like what you initially enlisted for. Because I don't know anybody who didn't enlist in the Army under the best pretenses to serve, protect, and defend with the most honorable goals in mind. Yes, uh, sometimes I think that the army's one of the purposes might be to you know get rid of good people because <laughs> right all the good people go in there and then they die or get disabled or drugged up so they can do that uh, you know that those natural people absolutely. So it, in your role as a legislator, and was this your first term as a legislature? I actually haven't followed too much attention to the New Hampshire legislature the last couple of years. I like I hit myself in the back of the head for it all the time because I used to I used to spend like two or three days a week up in Concord testifying on bills, and that was I was super involved. But I got burned out a little and backed off. Um, like, how long have you been a state rep, and was this your first go around with it, or like any? Is this type of legislation something that you're really interested in pursuing, like as a focal point of your career in the state house, or is, was this like a one-off? And there really hasn't been anything else similar, or in the vein of having to do with the guard, or I, it's usually state federal relations that deals with this kind of stuff. But like, where, do, like, how does this fit into like your what you ran for office with, and what you want to do with your legislative career? Uh, well, I mean, the, the anti-war issue is what uh, made me a libertarian. Um, so I, I'm actually not pretty good at coming up with ideas. I'm just really good at being principled. <laughs> and other people come up with these great legislative strategies. Uh, and then if, you know, if I can help out, uh, if someone can tell me what to do, then I'll do it. But as far as coming up with a plan, that's not really my thing. And uh, this defend the guard uh, idea is excellent. Um and I mean, we could talk about uh, what it is exactly. Uh, to answer your question, this yeah. is my first term. Uh, okay. Yeah. In house. So, so as far as like what it is, like why, why don't you lay it out like big, broad scope, just general idea. 
What's the idea behind the Defend the Guard legislation and how would it work? So uh, in a nutshell, Defend the Guard would uh, prohibit the federal government for sending National Guard troops into wars that have not been declared by Congress. Um, and the, the reason why it's so intelligent is because everyone already believes that, that you can't right. send troops. I mean, it's not uh, people know that Congress needs to declare war and they just don't. Uh, so it's not this like radical idea like secession or something that's um, that people can't understand. I mean, you're supposed to have a declaration of war, right? So wh- why would it be? Why would we not agree to, to withhold our troops? Uh, well, is, is it? And, and so we have troops from New Hampshire deployed right now. Isn't that true? We have our field artillery unit from the New Hampshire National Guard currently on deployment overseas. Um, and I believe that actually happened right as the Defend the Guard legislation was first being brought up and being talked about. Uh, when, when I first started hearing about it, at least, it was like immediately after I saw Sununu holding a press conference about the New Hampshire National Guard being deployed. And I'm like, well, this is timely as hell. Um, <laughs> because unfortunately, when it comes to passing legislation or doing anything politically, you need what um, well, my background is in emergency management and homeland security before I started working for the government. But you need what we call the focusing window. You can't get a bill passed unless people care about it. And like, there's no time to make somebody care about the National Guard than when their brothers deployed overseas. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, but uh, yeah, it's really the unfortunate part there. Um, but so we have troops deployed na- right now, and it, it's part of an undeclared war. But is there anyone alive who can remember a declared war? As I said, like World War II was our last declared war in the history of the United States. But we've been in constant conflict ever since with Korea and Vietnam, the Cold War, all the proxy conflicts, the first in Afghanistan with CIA and Special Forces, Panama, Granada, uh interdictions in Nicaragua and Colombia, combat troops engaging cartels in Mexico. Uh, Canada might be the only country we've never gone to war with directly, I think, but unless you count 1812 when they were a British territory, like, like who, like how can we expect people to want a declaration of war when the government's gotten away without it for so long that everyone has become kind of numb to that? Well, uh, if we did, if we did get defend the guard pass in a couple of states, uh, they now what I think would happen is they would just find another way to make it legal instead of actually right. declaring war. But uh, they wouldn't be able to conduct these wars without the national guard. Uh, they wouldn't be able to do it with just regular troops. And there's a few reasons for that. Uh, mm-hmm. One just being that uh, national guard troops are a lot cheaper than regular army. <laughs> um, no upkeep. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, I was actually just reading uh, that they, they did a uh, like a study and they found out that uh, they got, let's see, the, that the National Guard contributes to about 40% of all active army uh, manpower at 7% the budget. So, um, and then there's a quote here, uh, you know, the Guard is the most effective way to defend America and the most cost efficient uh, being about four guardsmen cost the same as one regular army. Sure. And it's actually, it's a relatively new phenomenon because I mean, those financial costs with the guard, I mean, a lot of that has to do with housing, ongoing training, meals, benefits, spousal benefits, family benefits, BAH, all the costs of upkeep in between deployments. Where in reality, you're only, the government only has to pay a guard soldier when they're deployed. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because as you know, like most things with government, uh, 
National Guard troops are actually better soldiers than than regular army. Uh, and 100%. It, it's always been this way. Uh, oh, well, yeah, you've been National Guard, right? Yeah. So, but it's always been this way, actually. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant wrote that, um, you know, the part-timers or the non-full-time soldiers were, were better soldiers in the field than, than the full-time soldiers. Um, and, I mean, when you think about it, it makes sense, right? Because uh, regular Army was like a big frat club when I was in, you know. It was just – but National Guard people, that you know, they have real uh, – pressures in their lives, you know, market forces yep. and stuff like this. So they're going to be a more competent person. I had a first sergeant explain that similarly to me because I, I had done time with active units and guard units and mixed units before because, you know, at the height of the surge in Afghanistan, they didn't care who, who would volunteer to go. Uh, everyone got dumped together in a new unit. Uh, but at one point, like, I'm back with my guard unit and just, I'm like, wow, I just marveled one day to my first sergeant. I'm like, I'm just amazed at how much more competent everyone here is than the active guys. And he was like, why are you amazed at that? All the active guys do is watch PowerPoint six days a week and then go to the range for one and do PT every morning. Jim's a mechanic. He fixes cars and trucks every day, all day. Luke's a firefighter. He's an EMT. These people have actual skills that they bring to the table. Yeah, so. and active duty was really just become – I mean, if you were just a regular enlisted guy – it was becoming good at not getting in trouble. <laughs> the just, E4 mafia runs the army. Right. <laughs> so. uh, but, but no, uh, it's become a res- relatively recent phenomenon of the guard even deploying. Um, I mean, heck, there's an old trope in DV music and pop culture that um, it's never the senator's kids going off to war. The senator's kids didn't die in Vietnam. They were off pulling a stint in the National Guard. The National, like, even, like, as recently as the first Gulf War, there really was no National Guard involvement. Um, that war was short enough that the U.S. Army could just plow through things. But I feel like it's been like the post-9-11 global war on terror that has really stretched the ability of the U.S. government to wage war with a conventional army financially and personnel-wise. Um, I read a piece by General Carl Eikenberry, former ambassador to Afghanistan, former commander of Joint Forces in Afghanistan. He's retired now, and he wrote an article called The Great Draft Dodge, What America Lost When It Lost Fighting, When It Stopped Fighting, in which he he actually advocates for going back to the draft. Terrible argument, but I had to read it to know what I was arguing against. Um but his reasoning was that there was political accountability to combat when we had a draft. Uh, the Vietnam War, the United States military never lost a single engagement tactically, but we lost a PR war because Americans got sick of seeing their brothers and friends come home in caskets. Um, and that's why we lost the Vietnam War, But because it was people who were unwillingly there. It was p- people being pulled out of their communities there. And he told uh, a story about how there was a reorganization of the Army uh, under Colin Powell, and Colin Powell was a member of the Joint Chiefs, where he put all of the logistics of the United States Army in the reserves. The active duty would maintain nothing but combat troops and all logistical support, medics, supply, cooks, mechanics, everything else would be in the reserve. And he actually did it as a preventative measure to stop the executive branch in Congress from being able to launch a prolonged war because he argued that there would be no political will of the american people to sustain a long-term war if it wasn't if it was more than just the all-volunteer professional army being sent off if all of a sudden it was nurses and teachers and brothers and neighbors who were being sent off to that war that the american people wouldn't stand for it and then you know bill clinton 
Uh, Bill Clinton in the 90s found a way around that by with the military industrial complex and contractors to provide logistics for the U.S. Army. Uh, you know, I so. appreciate that perspective because um, something I noticed that's kind of bizarre is uh, if you think about the culture uh, during Vietnam that, you know, the troops were, you know, they'd come back, they'd get spit on and, uh, you know, yelled at and all this stuff. And these were draft troops. But and then right. contrast that today where it's an all volunteer military and, you know, you can't say anything you know, bad about the troops ever. You can right. never criticize them at all, uh, even though above reproach and the heroes of our time. Um, right. It, it's absolutely wild to consider the the shift and like, but you go back a little bit further. World War II was the same way. Like you've never heard of anybody coming back from World War II getting called a baby killer and beaten up outside of a bar or jumped and or or being derided and run out of their community. They were heroes. They're but. They've also, like, you very rarely hear stories of draft dodgers in World War II. Like, it was a time where patriotism was the culture of the country when the country made its call for volunteers and more people would more people would burn their draft cards on their way to the enlistment station because they wanted to enlist before their number got called so they could do their duty. Like, it, it was a weird shift in culture from World War II to Vietnam that basically the sons of World War II soldiers growing up and not wanting to go through the same thing. And I don't know how Eikenberry's uh, perspective can hold true when we've had such a change and shift in perspectives in just two or three generations that it wouldn't eventually go back to everybody being fine with the draft like we had in World War II and supporting a global war. So that's why I can't support going back to a draft. I mean, above and beyond, a draft is slavery. That's the government saying that you don't own your body and you must sacrifice it for them. But um it, do you think there's merit to that? Maybe the guard and reserve deployments have built some of the tension in the anti-war movement and pushed some people over the edge into anti-war uh, stances because it's no longer an out of sight, out of mind. It's no longer 18 year old kids who live on Fort Bragg who are volunteered to go live there. And that's their career to go fight these wars. It's teachers being pulled out of the classroom. It's nurses being pulled out of the emergency room. It's uh, truck drivers being pulled off their routes, mail carriers being pulled off their uh, stations and sent to war. Does that have any kind of impact that you've seen, you've noticed in your community, within your friends groups of leading people to be more anti-war? You know, uh, honestly, I'm not really sure. Uh, I feel like at some point, um, National Guard troops kind of became regular army. That's the way, you know, it, maybe in the beginning, but, you know, I was, I was basically a kid uh, in the beginning of these wars. Well, because um, I just feel like, I mean, they were deploying the National Guard uh, every, you know, you would be on like the same rotation as active army. Three, so, uh, yeah, 18 and, on, three and a half off. And like, they, wear exactly, they wear the same uniforms and, you know, everything. So it's almost like they're the same thing. Just an extension of the pool of manpower, an extension of the human resources. The one thing the U.S. Army can't print more of when they can get as much money as they want from Congress, they can't fill the human resources pool as easily as they could in peacetime. Um, but, you know, the one week in a month, I mean, there's the old meme of the C-130 sitting on a tarmac with Cartman painted on the side, one week in a month, my ass. Um, where a lot of people, even even in this time of war, a lot of people join the National Guard never expecting to deploy. Mm-hmm. It's just something comes out of left field for them when it does happen. They're fully trained, they're fully capable, they've done the work and like trained for that deployment. But then when they get the orders, it just blows their minds. 
Uh, yeah, I could imagine that. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember I had a drill sergeant uh, and we were in the chow line and um, we were kind of ragging on the National Guard troops, how, you know, they're just part timers. And then he he fixed that perspective for us. He told us, you know, you guys are just here all the time, but these National Guard guys have to basically <laughs> stop their life to go do this thing for a year. So, well, so if def- if defend the guard has the possibility to like make it so much harder, involve an actual declaration of war in full scale activation of the reserves to commit to any wartime effort, how how does it actually work? Because we've seen the U.S. government just nationalize guard troops, and like it's with or without the consent of the governor. And the only time in recent memory i can recall or even in any kind of research i can do of a governor refusing national guard troops was after trump was elected and he threatened to send the national guard to uh texas to guard the border and uh the governor of oregon had said she would refuse to send the national guard and trump didn't test it trump didn't want to call her bluff or test her he just activated a different state's national guard down to texas um but like what are the ramifications for a state that does refuse uh, you know, I'm not totally sure. I think uh, they might threaten us with, uh, you know, withholding federal funding or something like this. But I don't, I don't really know what they could do besides that. What really federal funding could like the Pentagon? Like, we have a Space Force base here in New Hampshire. Anything else that we'd really care about? <laughs> Like, like um, the military already signed an arms contract with Sig Sauer. They're going to go give that to Smith and Wesson down in Kentucky. I like what actual fund the funding. Like, what actual leverage does the federal government have? Are they going to withhold highway funding because we won't let them send our uh, college students to combat? I mean, that's kind of the advantage we have being New Hampshire, right? Like, we're right. not Texas, uh, so we could probably. If if we had a governor that didn't want to send National Guard troops, we might we might be like Oregon. We might be able to just refuse it, even without the fund the guard and kind of get ignored. Or you know, sure. Now, I mean, where are we in the process? Like with with these defend the guard legislation in the House of Representatives here in New Hampshire, um, it's been submitted or it was submitted last year. Did, did it again? I didn't follow anything last year, and I feel like an idiot for not doing so. It was just so much other stuff. Um, but like, what was the disposition of the last go around with it, and is there another one? Yeah. So uh, it was filed, and there wasn't really like activity around it like there is now. There's a lot of people talking about it and stuff, right? Um, so no one really worked on it and it got put into uh, what they call the consent calendar where basically the committee decided uh, that this thing shouldn't pass. And then um, it gets mixed in with a lot of other bills. And then we just, you know, the whole house just votes it away. Um, it's going to be in- so, and now uh, we got elections coming up and then uh, around November time is going to be the filing period again. Mm-hmm. So, a conversation is going to start at some point about who wants, who's going to file this thing and if it's going to be filed the same and stuff like this. Um, it will be exciting this time around for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, we have all this energy now and this publicity for it. So we can probably get some people to testify and, and actually make people think about it. And the other reason is um, the committee it's going to go to is state and veterans affairs. Yep. Uh, and the, chair of state environs affair uh was this uh guy representative albar asado 
<laughs> I know Al very well. Okay. Yeah, he's a, he's a former Marine of, I think, uh, better than 20 years. Yeah, for and- those listening who don't know Al, Al is a great guy. Uh, he's a fantastic rep, um, but he is patriotic as patriotic can be, and I wouldn't doubt for a second that he would be head over heels opposed to this. Yeah, that's that's correct. Right? <laughs> he was the chair of the committee that ha- has to hear it, but um, and that's that's true. He's he's very liberty and a lot of stuff, but he's uh, kind of that old school kind of patriotism. You got to be for the troops, even though I think defend the guard is for the troops. Uh, but anyway, uh, he uh, he's this this term that just passed is his last term, as far as I understand. He's not he's not running again. So I don't know who's going to be the chair of State and Veterans Affairs. But that's going to be a big deal about how this goes down. Um, I do. I would guess that they would put a, uh, you know, like a military guy in there. You know, like kind of sure, a, like Jess Edwards or um, well, I can't really think of much more. But um, yeah, no, yeah, there's a few other. But do you think maybe there's a chance to build like a consensus-based coalition on this? So not just Liberty Republicans and Libertarians, but um, maybe even some more just establishment-type Libertarians who are against Joe Biden having access to the National Guard, or um, maybe some remnants of the anti-war left, like uh, maybe Ellen Reed or some of the other progressives in on the left here in New Hampshire that might come alongside of this to build an issue coalition instead of a partisan one? Yeah, I think that's totally possible and that's why i think it's going to be exciting this time around i think uh it's i think it's going to go to the house floor this time instead of just going on the consent calendar and we're going to have a debate about it at minimum so even if it goes on the consent calendar isn't it true any one of you can pull it from the consent calendar uh yeah it's true uh but it may not be good strategy because sure you're going to have to now (laughs) basically introduce this thing to the whole house when everyone's ready to go home because we're going to do i mean i hate to say it like that but consent calendar is going to be on the last day of session it's the last day <laughs> it's going to be the last thing and you're pulling stuff off you know that's it, it is complex like this and you got to have people change their minds on something they don't even know about uh, well, well i'm not sure how complex it needs to be and again i haven't read the sample legislation myself um but like is it as simple as like the national guard forces of new hampshire can't be uh marshaled to federal service without the uh by the with by the governor without a declaration of war from congress like i feel like it could be a two-sentence bill yeah it's simple simple to us but uh people come up with the craziest questions you know in the <laughs> process uh you know i had uh somebody email me and they were upset that my name was on defend the guard and they didn't even understand what it was saying it was saying that you know without congress's she this she thought it said without Congress's authorization, the National Guard could only be deployed to like war. So she was like, "How? Are we, what are we going to do if there's a tornado or something like this?" You know, like uh, totally misunderstanding the intent. Uh, so that's to her, I'm- to her panic and to her understanding, though, I think a lot of people don't actually understand that the Guard deploys to combat. A lot of Americans, I, I think, still don't see that happen, even though these are citizen soldiers that are being pulled from our communities and deployed. I think a lot of Americans are just disconnected from that reality. When they think the National Guard, they think the guys shoveling out the fire hydrants during blizzards. They think the guys running trucks to help ambulances navigate around during hurricanes and uh, blizzards in Massachusetts. They think um, the troops that went door-to-door on boats in New Orleans trying to save 
people after Hurricane Katrina. Like they think civic natural disaster response. And I feel like that's what most Americans think of when they hear the National Guard. And it wasn't always the case for the National Guard. The National Guard was founded as a combat branch. It was the militia. It was the first form of defense. I mean, we talk an awful lot about the Second Amendment as libertarians, and especially in New Hampshire, uh, people in New Hampshire love our Second Amendment, but everyone, the big sticking point of the Second Amendment in controversy is that first clause, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of a free state. Well, the National Guard was that well-organized well militia at the time. Um, in direct descent, the 181st and 182nd Infantry Regiments in Massachusetts actually trace their battalion colors all the way back to the two uh, battalions that stood against the British at Lexington and Concord Green. Like, it's a single continuous unit history, unit lineage from the original militia that started the Revolutionary War to the National Guard serving today. And it's like their missions evolved over time, but it's always been the defense of the community first and foremost, whether that is from enemies, foreign or domestic, or a natural disaster that puts their neighbors at their need. Uh, yeah, that's how I understood the National Guard is, is basically an evolution of the militia. But you're yeah. you're correct. I think in this particular case where this woman was upset that she probably understood the National Guard as like an emergency service. And right. that was where the confusion came in. Um, and that's why I say the bills. I mean, the concept's simple to us, but, uh, you okay. know, people's understanding of how things are is, is different. You know, so we have to work. We have to kind of hold our hand through some of the stuff. Think of it. I, th I think maybe the way to sell it to those people is to talk about maybe the community being deprived of those civic resources. Uh, when the National Guard is deployed in combat, they're not there to answer the call and to help their community. Um, I remember when I was the NCOIC for security at the Boston Marathon in 2013, um, I was a junior enlisted soldier. I was a specialist. I was just the highest ranking person who volunteered to do this. And so I ended up in charge. That was a terrible terrible thing uh to thrust upon me and uh three days later i remember the vermont national guard military police unit came to relieve us in boston because the massachusetts national guard's military police unit was deployed in iraq and unavailable to respond all right well uh we're gonna need to bring that up when we testify on this because uh if we, if we can bring a lot of people testifying this thing this time around yeah. i think we'll be able to get it on the house floor uh you know, instead of consent calendar and then uh, have a real discussion about it. That's the way to do it. Now, how can people learn more about the bill, what's going on, how they can help? I mean, do we have a calendar here in New Hampshire of like the process? Like, will there be a calendar that, you know, of like when people can testify, when when it's going to go to committee, when the hearings are going to be and stuff? Like that? Well, the uh, the period to introduce bills is um, basically the, the week of the election in November. Okay. Uh, the week two weeks i think it starts the week leading up to and then the week after um and once the bill's filed uh it's going to have to go to the lawyers um at the state house and then at that point we'll have a at some point we'll have a committee date and um we'll make sure to post it where you know <laughs> you know I, I myself i know i'm i'm one of the weird people here in new hampshire and by weird i mean there's a sizable minority of us uh, more so than any other state, I say that pays attention to the state house when we can and have the time, and pays attention to the legislative calendar. It's still not that easy to read. Um, so, like, 
I would think with something like this, and they did it very well for CACR 32, the secession bill. They did it for um, the to stop the Family Leave Act a couple times uh, in the past, where like websites and calendars and groups would pop up specifically for that bill just to make sure everyone would stay informed. Do you think something like that's going to pop up for Defend the Guard? Uh, yeah, that's why I'm excited about this time around. It looks like okay. it's already happening right now. This seems awesome. like there's a, there's a big push to, to it. And yeah. hopefully this energy stays going uh, until yeah. next year. Yeah, I, I do know there is a uh, group uh, organizing an effort uh, to have an event on uh, 9-11 in Concord at the State House. I'm not sure what the details on that are, but I'm excited for it. Um, where we, if people want to learn more about the bill in the meantime, or more about the movement and the issues in the meantime, where can they go to learn more? What can they do to, uh, maybe try and keep in touch and keep involved now that you know, of? uh, you know, uh, I don't know who's pushing. I'm a legislator right now. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I can introduce the bill. Um, right. uh, but I mean, I'll be posted on the Twitter. So if you follow me at, at Santa Nastasso underscore NH, um, you get updates there. So definitely go give Matt a follow on Twitter. Uh, it's right there if you can't spell it, because I wouldn't be able to. Um, there's no joke in politics. I used to run for office all the time that you should change your name to Smith if you actually want to win. So I don't know how you did it. <laughs> uh, because if some people can't remember your name, it's hard. But uh, Santa Nastasso, uh, underscore nh go give them a follow on twitter i recommend checking out defendtheguard.us great website you can learn more resources about why this is important what's going on um look up people like scott horton and dave smith who are talking a lot about this and trying to motivate people not just here in new hampshire but across the country uh how many states are seeing defend the guard legislation introduced do you think do you know do you have any clue <laughs> uh yeah there's a lot i mean this didn't start in new hampshire um it's gonna be a, i think it's gonna be a completely national movement, uh, especially with Yal in the Hazlitt coalition. Um, you know, this idea is getting spread across the whole country. So it's going to be big. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to testifying. I'm looking forward to helping make this happen. I think it's really important. Um, again, it's, I've said time and time again to people like this, this legislation could be the first step towards curbing the appetite for um, imperialism and war that like been robbing Americans blind for multiple generations. Again, over 92% of this nation's history as a sovereign state has been spent in conflict and combat and waging wars that nobody wants, nobody needs, and we can't sustain. And it's, robbed entire generations of not just their wealth, but their lives as hundreds of thousands of Americans have died in wars in the, just in the 20th century alone in millions of innocents overseas in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, and other conflicts where U.S. troops are engaged or involved. And unfortunately, it's going to be a really rough and long and deep history to undo. The U.S.'s first foreign intervention was in 1811 against Argentina, who declared its independence only three months prior to that. So we'll see how it goes, because the United States is known for nothing else but waging war. And that's a really unfortunate aspect. And who knows? If Defend the Guard fails, maybe secession will pass next time. And that's the real way we can defend the Guard, is by separating from the U.S. altogether, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, we'll try both this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been educational. We learned a lot about this bill. I, again, 
have been off my game in the past year and paying attention to things I normally pay attention to. Uh, but I'm excited to have something to work, look forward to this year, a reason to get up to Concord, a reason to get involved, it's not just for me, but for everybody. Um, so look up your legislators. If you're in New Hampshire, if you're in Missouri, if you're in California, Texas, or Washington, D.C., there's a bill being introduced in your jurisdiction. Again, you can check them all out at defendtheguard.us for information on the bills that are being introduced in your area, the legislators that are sponsoring them, how you can get in touch with them, and ask them how you can get involved and how you can help. Because that's the f- most important step is getting involved. So, again, Matt, thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for helping me with this. Help me wrap my head around the importance of it and letting the audience know why this is so crucial. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave people with? Uh, nope. I just hope uh, you come and testify on this bill, and uh, we'll try to get try to get some. some we'll try and not piss off the committee by keeping them for six hours. But <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> and well, thank you so much. And again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, share with a friend, and head on over to the Substack on Subversive, where you can get the post wrap show and our lower members only content available after the show on Thursday, every day, every week. Wow, I need a coffee. Uh, but until next time, be free. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Subversive. Make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live on YouTube. And make sure to leave some comments and reviews on whatever platform you listen on to let me know what you thought of this episode. And a huge thanks and shout out to our sponsors and the awesome members of the Insurgency on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can join the Insurgency on Patreon by following the links in the description for patreon.com slash And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts every day. So until next time, everybody, be free.